This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysu. Welcome to a hot, if you will, if you live in Texas, edition of DSC's Campfires. You know, even when it's hot, there's something about a fire that draws us to it. I find myself, even though it's 100 plus degrees outside, I find myself walking in the house and standing in front of our fireplace like it was really cold outside. I'm I'm not sure what the reason is there, but uh, for whatever reason there is, I appreciate the fact that we do have an in-house fireplace and it come wintertime a little bit later on, there'll be a fire in there. But for the time being, I'm still kind of drawn to it. Campfire is a very special place, and t- today we'll have an absolutely great guest with us, Jeremy Millette, who is with internationalsportsman.com. But before we get to Jeremy, let's visit a little bit about land, particularly land that you may want to buy or sell that's uh, available through Hayden Outdoors at haydenoutdoors.com. And Hayden, of course, is the, is the brand that sells land. We talked about water a little bit last time, but, you know, too, when you get right down to it, before you buy a piece of land, or hopefully you may want to even sell some land, too, but if you're looking to buy a piece of land, look at all the possibilities of where you might want to locate. Look at all the reasons for owning the land, whether it's there as an investment, whether it's there for recreational purposes, whether you want to use it for agriculture purposes, or maybe a combination of of all the above. And that's one of the good things about dealing with somebody like uh, the folks at Hayden Outdoors because those guys, they know the properties, they know what the properties are capable of, and they're very honest about it. If, if you were to look at a piece of property, and, and if unless you're a trained wildlife biologist or somebody that's had a lot of experience in terms of, of agriculture, in terms of wildlife, you may look at a piece of property and go, oh my God, this is exactly what I want because it's going to do what what I think it's going to do. I'll make it do what I want it to. And sometimes you can do that and sometimes you can't. But the beauty of the guys like that work for Hayden is they'll look at that property with you and you go, uh, this is what I want to do. And they may go, you know, it's a beautiful piece of property, but I don't quite think it's going to fit what you're wanting to do. Maybe there's not enough water there. Maybe there's no subsurface water. Maybe it's in a floodplain that's going to be underwater for part time of the year. So 
when you get ready to buy a piece of property, go with professionals that know what they're doing, that know the land and know something about the past experiences of that land in terms of uh, flooding, water, drought, past use as far as agriculture is concerned, and maybe even look into the tax structures. Is, is that land on a wildlife evaluation? Is it a livestock evaluation? Is it a place that's set up strictly for recreation? Taxes can be extremely high when it's not related to agriculture, talking about school taxes and county taxes and all those kind of things. So as you get ready to look for that piece of property, get with the guys at Hayden, the brand that sells land, and they can fill you in on all those kind of things that you really need to know about that if you don't look at them now, you may be sorry about what you did later on. Now let's get on with the program. Welcome to Campfires and this Today, this morning, if you're listening in the morning, good afternoon, if you're listening in the, in the afternoon, but I've got Mr. Jeremy Millett. Mr. Jeremy Millett, I'll get it turned out here right properly in just a second, but uh, mentioned earlier that Jeremy is going to be on the show with us today, and Jeremy, I'll tell you what, I am so proud to have you back on. I know that you've been really busy the last several months in trying to get everything lined out again, and tell us a little bit about what you do again. One more time, please. Yeah, Larry. Well, thanks for thanks for having me on. So I run a site called International Sportsman, and we cover firearms, hunting, archery, and fishing. Um, anything from how to to stories and conservation pieces, product reviews, what's happening in legislation. It's kind of a kind of a catch-all for, for everything in those four categories, firearms, hunting, archery, and fishing. And uh, it keeps me pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> I know that it has, and I know that you've recently kind of relaunched International Sportsman, and absolutely I've had the opportunity to look at it several times. Of course, I look at it almost on a daily basis sometimes, and, and it is an unbelievably great website for anybody that loves the outdoors or having anything to do particularly with hunting and wildlife conservation kind of thing and very proudly I've written some pieces for you tell me where all this started and kind of where you uh, and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about where you are and kind of where you want to go to but how did you really get this started and I know we've talked about some of this in the past in terms of uh, the podcast but I'd love to have the listeners hear about it again yeah absolutely so um International Sportsman started in my mind a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had an idea for a site that would basically cover those four topics, right? Right. Um, and, you know, I was uh, doing marketing for Silencer Shop for several years. Yes, sir. And so I was very involved in the industry as far as, you know, on the, on the firearm side, specifically on the silencer side of things. And, you know, I wanted to be more on the hunting too, right? So kind of my passion are, are firearms and hunting, right? Amen. Um, <laughs> and so I, uh, I was looking around at the sites that are out there and there's a lot of good sites uh, for enthusiasts of, of those things, but I didn't find a site that did a couple of things. Number one, uh, covered all four of those things that we talked about. Right. But, you know, had a lot of different pieces on there from all the advocacy and conservation groups, not only for Second Amendment, but also hunting conservation, right? Um, so I saw that, that these sites put out great articles, and they were very centric on one topic, right? So one maybe just politics, right? Yes. Or one may be just firearm reviews or, or one is, you know, just hunting stories, right? And I thought, man, it'd be great if there was a site that was kind of a catch-all, right? Like a knowledge base where all these different things were, but also gave back, right? Published um, articles and press releases from all these different conservation groups and advocacy groups that are doing great work to to keep what we love alive, right? Um, because as you know, Larry, every single day, people are trying to do two things. They're trying to 
take away our freedoms, in, whether it be our hunting rights or whether it's our firearm rights. And I just thought, man, you know, we need to support these groups that are working hard to keep those rights alive um, while also, um, you know, providing, providing the other stories and the other information that, that people want to hear about and read. Um, and so that's kind of how International Sportsman got started. And um, I'll say this, it's a, it's a bull the ocean project. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's so much, there's so much that you can do at the end of the day, every single day, I look back and go, man, we could have put out 40 stories today. <laughs> you know? Exactly. <laughs> Not enough manpower and not enough time in the day to cover everything that, that needs to be talked about, you know? Um, and so that's why that's why I started the site and, and really I want it to grow and I want I want anybody that's out there that's listening that has a story to tell or some advice or some knowledge that they can share with the community to to really share that with us and you know, here's a platform where, where you can post it. Um, because as, as you once told me, you know, you said, um, you said, I tell people what they already know. They just don't know that they know. (laughs) There's a lot to that. Yes, sir. So, you know, with people like yourself and others out there, you know, there's a lot of tribal knowledge, um, in, in these spaces. Right. And we've learned from our fathers or grandfathers or our mentors we've learned these things but if you're if you didn't have say for example a father or a grandfather that that hunted right then you've got to try to figure this out on your own or you've got to read about it or you've got to find a mentor and a lot of that tribal knowledge gets lost it does and i wanted international sportsmen i want international sportsmen to be a place where people can share that tribal knowledge and keep it alive so that we can get more people into these outdoor activities um, and help preserve what we're all fighting to keep. So I know that was long-winded, but there you go. No, that's not long-winded. I, that, absolutely not. You know, to me, you mentioned that a while ago. Basically what I've done over the years is you kind of put in a few words is that I taught people what they already knew or maybe had forgotten. And I'm big on going back to the basics. And these days we're so fortunate, you know, if there was one good thing that came out of all the dead gum COVID problems that we had, whether real or, or imagine whatever the case might've been, we have taught people that food does not necessarily come from the grocery store. It comes from somewhere else. As a result of all that, people have all of a sudden become very aware of, of uh, possible food shortages in the future kind of thing and two we've got people who are very interested in eating healthy and that means getting your own food a lot of times particularly in terms of hunting and and fishing but particularly in terms of hunting and if you look at the number of hunting licenses sold since we've had COVID and also fishing licenses, same thing. The numbers have increased dramatically in every state, including a lot of the states where we have thought in the past maybe there weren't a whole lot of people interested in hunting and fishing anymore. But those people, even if maybe they had some background in, in hunting in the outdoors, or maybe not. So to me, this also can serve, talking about international sportsmen, can also serve as a great uh way to get people back to having an understanding or get them an understanding about hunting, hunting techniques, animals, uh, guns, products, everything associated with that, along with some of the politics and the conservation side of things as well. Yeah, I mean, that's it, that's it in a nutshell, man. That's, you, you take it. Um, you know, what's interesting is, is that my grandfather was a very, very, big hunter. I mean, he went to Colorado, he went to Wyoming, Montana, he did elk hunting, he did uh, mule deer hunting, I mean, he hunted all the time, and growing up, he had to hunt to uh, subsidize the food for the family, right? Um, and whenever he had a family of his own, he continued hunting to um, to put food in the freezer, right? 
unfortunately, he died whenever I was fairly young, so I only got to hunt with him a couple of times, and my dad was not a hunter. And so it wasn't until I got married and moved out on my own that that I really got into hunting, and I, I say that I'm an elder millennial. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm right at the beginning of of what you, what the millennials are, right? So right. Yes, yeah, sure. old, but, <laughs> but I didn't start hunting until uh, 2006, and I kind of had to read and learn my way through it, which again helped helped kind of prompt the creation of international sportsman. But yes, sir. But um, you know. The reason that I started hunting was because I was not happy with the meat and the food that I was getting from the grocery store. Um, and I had, I had worked um, in a grocery store and seen the meat market and seen the quality <laughs> of the food, and I wasn't, I wasn't happy with it. Absolutely. Um, and so starting a family... I thought, you know, I want, I want better food, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and that's why I started hunting. And then, of course, once you start hunting, then you start understanding a lot more um, about why it's important and, um, you know, beyond the food aspect, but, you know, the heritage and whatnot. And also, too, for me, you know, working in working in an office, it's, you know, at the time it um, – it was a way to reconnect, you know, unplug, get away from the computer, leave the cell phone in the cabin, right? And then just be with nature because, again, I think a lot of people have forgotten to just be one with nature too. And then, you know, um, I, I don't remember who said it, but they basically said, look, I don't go hunting to kill, right? Hunting, killing is a byproduct of, yes. of hunting, right? I, yes. I kill to have hunted, right? But I, but the act of hunting is not the act of killing, right? No, no, and, no. And, um, you know, it was, to me, I mean, as I'm, as I'm sure you do, Larry, I mean, you go out there and you spend weeks, <laughs> you know, in a year and, and don't ever pull a trigger, you know? Um, but that connection with nature, to me, it, it centers me and brings me back and reminds me of, you know, what we're fighting for and uh, what what I'm trying to keep around for my kids for the future. Absolutely, hunting is 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 the act of going out and searching kind of thing. But sometimes that searching includes a whole lot more than as you just mentioned for the animal. It, it's searching sometimes for an inner peace. It's searching for a lot of you know be able to commune with nature, if you will. And that commune may be the fact that you're sitting there very quietly and you're listening to the birds, or you're sitting there very quietly and you're watching the butterflies flit by, or you know watching squirrels out there moving around back and forth, or or, or maybe it's a big game animal as well too but there's a lot to hunting that has nothing to do with the fact that you're out there to kill yes you've got a firearm or a bow or, or crossbow or a handgun or shotgun muzzle or whatever it is you know and and that's a means or maybe sometimes even excuse just to be out there but uh there's more to hunting than the pulling the trigger releasing the arrow absolutely and you know trying to convey that to to the non-hunter that hey look you know this is this is just it's a lifestyle and it's 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 more about you know going back to our heritage right yes i just look at it and i think man a hundred years ago right nobody was sitting in front of a tv no right they weren't (laughs) inside they were outside most of the time you know um and we just lost that i think when we when we disconnect from that, I think as a society, that's when things start changing for the worse, in my opinion. Um, and so, anyway, it's just a way to do that. And again, now, now that my kids are older, getting them out, you know, um, I took my uh, five-year-old son and my nine-year-old daughter out this last year. And, you know, we, um, we shot a hog and we shot a deer and they just loved it and they understood, right? Because... They have, since they were born, they've grown up uh, eating 
eating the, the things that I hunt because the only thing that we buy from the store is chicken. We don't buy right. We don't buy beef and, and everything else because I have two giant freezers full of venison and pheasant and quail and everything else. And um, they're used to it, and we talk about it all the time. We talk about what we're eating and where it came from and you know where I was when I got it and the importance of it, and they understand it, and they, they talk to their friends about it, right? And their friends come over, and they get to experience foods they haven't experienced before, right? Um, and I'll just say this. This is just – this made me like – this was just a proud moment. It was funny because it was several years back when I took my oldest daughter. She was seven at the time. And, um, um, we were out there sitting and we were looking and I was pointing out the different birds and the different, you see the squirrel out there? You see this, you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I, I pointed at the dove that were on the ground out by the feeder and I said, Hey, look, do you see the doves? And she goes, yeah, daddy, those are meat flyers. <laughs> what? <laughs> meat flyers? What do you... What are you talking about? She goes, yeah, they're just flying meat. <laughs> and I said, okay, then. I said, well, what are deer then? And she goes, well, those are meat walkers. <laughs> meat okay, walkers. That's, that's a little creepy, but I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> She has, she's got, she's got her head in the right place and all that. As far as I'm concerned, I'll tell you, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was, it was great because, you know, whenever I took my middle child out, who's, who's a little bit more sensitive about things, you know. Yes. Um, we shot, <laughs> we shot a deer, and um, we went out, and she walked right up to it, right. And I said, look, you know, I was pointing out things. I was talking about it and walking her through it. And she's like, yeah, she's fine with it. You know, she, she right. loves animals and whatnot. But she's like, she understood that, hey, this is food, right? I'm going to be eating this soon. Um, and uh, to me, it was just, it's cool to see that in, in the next generation, right? That they understand that, you know, hey, look, this is this is put here for for our substance and this is the best quality food that we can get without the hormones and the chemicals and all that jazz and anyway again it's just kind of coming full circle for me is that you know sure i enjoy you know i enjoy going out and and hunting um you know for other reasons besides the meat but but to see my kids make the connection that Hey, look! There's, you know, <laughs> that is you know, fantastic. Animal, and we recognize how hard it is to hunt the animal and whatnot. But there's, there's not a remorse of, oh, daddy, you killed this, you killed this beautiful deer. How could you possibly do that, right? Type thing, right? They understand that why we do what we do. They do, and I think it, that understanding is so very important. And one of the things that I heard you say a while ago is that not only do you and your family eat of this meat, but you, they're your children's friends sometimes come over as well, too. And to me, that plays a very important role. You know, I think if you go back and look at societies of many, many years, years and generations ago, possibly not everybody hunted, but everybody that was in that community, that tribe or those groups of families, they benefited from the people who did hunt. So I think it's really important for us to continue doing those kind of things. Absolutely. And, you know, I try to share my meat with people as much as I can because, you know, that's how you create new hunters, honestly, yes. in my opinion. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I gave I gave some deer meat to, to a family and, you know, they were, um, they loved it. Everybody loved it. Their kids loved it. You know, they're like, oh, this is great. You know, they, they enjoyed the health benefits of it, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, they're like, oh man, this is so great. Can you, can you give us another one? I'm like, well, no, I can't, <laughs> but I can teach you how to hunt and you can right, right. come with me. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? <laughs> so, um, so, you know, again, people then understand the benefits. And it's funny because people that you would never think, oh, this person would be a hunter or whatnot, you know, they understand you know, they're, they're not happy with where our food is and how processed everything is these days too. And so anyway, not to harp too much on that, but I just, I see that the food is a, is a great way to get people involved, um, in hunting that wouldn't, 
um, necessarily, you wouldn't think they would be involved, right? You're, um, you're exactly and, right. You're exactly right. I don't mean to talk over. The, go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't mean to talk talk over the top of you. No, Larry. Sorry about that. Uh, I, I was just going to say that all, all that you're exactly right on. I think meat is the the fact that we can procure our own meat and that we that way may sure that we have a sustainable population of wildlife, regardless of what the species. I think that's going to be the key as we move forward into the future. I mean, I truly appreciate large animals in terms of antlers and horns, but what those horns or antlers mean is that if they're sizable, that that herd is in good body condition, it's in a good healthy condition, and more importantly, the habitat's in a very good condition as well, too, as far as being able to sustain those those animals. So the meat aspect plays very strongly into this as well, too, because if you got a good habitat, to where there's more than sufficient food for that animal to eat, that animal's going to be that much better to eat, and there's going to be that much more of them as well whenever you do take one down. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, you touch on something. Uh, there is most of the time I'm, I'm shooting does. Right. I'm actually looking for older does, you know, that yes. produces as good of offspring and I, I go you know I've gone years and haven't shot a buck and just shot doe right. right because that's an important part of having a healthy herd amen um, and you know and, and that's all stuff that we talk about with the kids and and whatnot but um, you know what's interesting is is that the trend that I've noticed and, and I'm sure you've probably noticed this too is that among my generation and those younger than me, I'm seeing a very big interest in bow hunting. Um, and it seems like bow hunting is growing at a rate faster than it has before. And my theory about that is, is that people want to hunt and they want the benefits of hunting and whatnot. But most of these people are people that... Um, that are adverse to firearms. Um, and that's what what I'm seeing. And I think that, you know, this newer generation of hunters um, aren't necessarily, you know, anti-gun, but they just don't feel as comfortable with a gun, right? And, and to them, a bow seems, I think it seems, you know, more sporting and, and less... Um, chaotic so to speak than a rifle um and so that's just that's the trend that that i'm seeing i think that's interesting and the reason i bring that up is is that you know i think as we look forward to the future um and we look at conservation we look at management uh that's a trend that we just kind of need to be aware of and perhaps craft laws and things around that to um to to help facilitate those types of hunters that makes sense? <laughs> it, yes, it does. It, it really does. And as you were talking, I'm, of course, I grew up at a time when we, when I was small, there were no, hardly any bow hunters because there were no bow seasons. I remember when the first archery seasons were first initiated here in Texas. And, and fortunately, I, I took my first deer with a bow that year, a little buck with a, of all things, a glass, but I made a fiberglass kind of thing, a Ben Pearson bow, about a 40 pound pull with a cedar shaft arrow and a broadhead that looked about the size of a football when you look at them compared to some of them that are out there now. But yes, they're, they're, with the bow hunters particularly, I love to tease bow hunters because I, I do mostly gun hunting and all those kind of things these days, and I'm asked questions quite often. I says, Larry, did you ever bow hunt? And my response generally is, tongue-in-cheek, is yes, I did, and then I grew up. And But I greatly respect, still to this day, greatly respect bow hunters because, to me, the bow hunters are a little bit more tuned into the animals, if you will, because they do have to get closer, so they have an opportunity while you're waiting for this animal to get closer. You can really learn something about the animal that you're hunting, but you're also learning about everything else that's going on around you. You start paying attention more to the to the birds and something like we mentioned the squirrels and those kind of things as toward their reactions and all those kind of things. So to me, bow hunting is kind of like fly fishing. There's a finesse that's involved 
as opposed to just you know putting something on it the a bait on a hook and throwing it out there kind of thing. Uh, you have to know your equipment. You have to know your capabilities with it. And as a result of having to get closer, you become a better hunter as far as I'm concerned than most guys will just pick up a rifle and, or a shotgun and go out there and start, you know, hunting that way. Yeah. And, and you know, again, I just think that I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I haven't put my finger on it because it's, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit different mindset than where I come from, but you know, I, my perception is is that they see it as a more sporting or humane right. way, um, you know, because of what's involved. Right? They feel like they put in more effort, um, so they don't feel as bad about about the um, uh, the taking of the life, so to speak. Right? Right. Um, but you know, I just look at that and I say, think, you know. We've just got to look at these trends and be aware of, of what's going on in the future and how we can, um, you know, maybe we need to extend bow season, right, or, or or something like that. You know, I'm not a legislator, but I just look at these things and I think, you know, we need to we just need to be cognizant of the trends. And, and, again, it goes back to the food thing is that, you know, okay, we're aware of this, right? We're aware of it, that people are getting into it for the meat. So as individuals and organizations, what can we do to um, help share the meat and help get that out there and help spread that word? Um, and I just, you know, a lot of a lot of good organizations are doing things just like that, right? Providing these this meat to people and, um, you know, all these different organizations where you can donate your hunt new and whatnot and they share it with people. And for me, at International Sportsman, telling those stories and getting those stories out there about, hey, look at the good that hunters are doing, right? Not only are there dollars, you know, helping protect these species um, for the future, right? And not only are they putting conservation dollars to work, but they're also giving actual, you know, tangible resources, right? Yes. Um, to people, right? And... It, it kind of comes comes full circle, right? In that um, I look at DSC, and I booked my first international trip uh, at DSC, and I went to to Scotland. And when you look at the UK and how they're managing their resources versus how we're managing our resources. Um, it becomes comes kind of scary for them, actually, because, you know, there are people in the UK, uh, politicians, that literally want to exterminate all the deer in the country so that they can grow taller trees like Norway, basically. Um, and then once the deer, once the deer are gone, they grow all these trees and they want to reintroduce the deer back in. Uh, and I'm sure you've got a lot of thoughts on that as a wildlifeologist. <laughs> but um, oh my goodness. Me, that's, that's a scary, scary thought. And I, you know, I don't want there to ever be a movement like that here in the United States. And that's why I think these conservation groups are so important. So... Yes, to me, the conservation groups are, as you mentioned, DSC in particular. I've been a great supporter of them for a long, long time. And, and you and I have, well, I sit on the DSC Foundation Board, which is the granting arm, if you will, of, of uh, DSC, to where we receive many, many grant requests from throughout the world dealing with conservation and education and, to a lesser extent, hunter advocacy kind of thing. But uh, And we go through those with a truly fine-tooth comb and then fund that money to those different worthwhile product, products or projects, if you will. And that's that's all a big part of it, because a lot of the things we're talking about here, such as some of the field-to-table type projects where people are getting the opportunity to get out in the field, particularly adults, if you will, and uh, take an animal and then go it through the entire process to teach them how to cook it as well, too. 
that's I'd love to see a little bit more of that happen in some of the European countries. As you mentioned there, I've, I've hunted in Scotland and I've hunted in England as well, too, and then some of the other countries. There's a great hunting tradition there in a lot of different ways, but there is very little public hunting, if you will. There's some public fishing, but even that in the better places outside of the saltwater areas is, is kind of a, a limited thing as opposed to basically what we have here in North America with the North American model that uh, Dr. Valerius Geist and, and Shane Mahoney have elo- eloquently put into words. And uh, I think they could learn from some of the things that we did. You can have both big trees and wildlife at the same time. And uh, unfortunately, some of them that are there talking, those kind of things really don't have an understanding how important the wildlife is, even in those situations where they're trying to grow trees. Yeah, and again, it goes back to, to everything. I'll just stand on a soapbox a little bit, and I, yeah. I'll say that I think most of the people that make the laws have zero understanding of what the laws are making up. <laughs> so, um, you know, they just don't understand. That, um, that's You're, you're truly right. I'm going to interrupt you there very quickly because I do a lot of things with the Texas Wildlife Association here in Texas, and I was one of the founders. And one of the things that we're learning is just what you mentioned, is that so many of our legislators and our senators these days are from truly urban areas. They are like two or three generations minimally uh, away from the, the farm, if you will, or from the outdoors. And they no longer have any kind of understanding of, of real-world situations when it comes to the role of wildlife, the role of wildlife habitat, and those kind of things. And, and I think that's where there is, needs to be a tremendous education. We need to educate everybody, but I sometimes think it's more important that we educate some of our uh, our uh, politicians, if you will, more so than some of the other people that are out there. Yeah, so if you're listening to this podcast and you know a politician, give them some beer, mate, so they understand. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Invite them to come out, you know, spend time. And I, I, I tell a story a lot of times that I used to get on a plane. I used to fly a lot and uh, fly in different places. And for a while, I just kind of wanted to not look like a hunter. I wanted to look like some other tourist. And then I thought, you know, this is the wrong approach. Is I want to look like a hunter, you know, without put, throwing something in somebody's face kind of thing. But I wanted them to ask questions so that I could maybe I couldn't convince the 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 guy that's died in the wool anti-hunting anti-animal use anti just about everything else you know to my way of thinking but in the process of vision with him I could present scientific facts and I could you know not just theory and not just uh, hysteria kind of things and hopefully somebody around there that was listening next thing you know you got them engaged in the conversation and they're asking some very excellent questions and so I think that becomes a part of it as well too we need to continually try to educate all those around us and sometimes need to educate some of those that we think may already know everything yeah that's an excellent point and it brings up something else too that's a whole other can of worms but you know, I look at the trends of what's what's going on just in the industry, what's going on with, with all four of those categories, and then society to kind of see where we're going and, and get ahead of things if I can. Yes. And when you look at social media, right, um, and there's every year or so there's, you know, a new social media platform that pops up. And people that are, you know, Second Amendment supporters or strong hunters, you know, they say, well, we need to go to this platform or that platform so that we have our own space and we can post what we want. We can do what we want, you know, and um, this, that and the other. And I just think that's the completely wrong approach because we have to be in the communities. We have to be involved. We have to be out there and we have to keep, you know, to to narrow it down a little bit, we have to keep firearms and hunting normalized, right? This is not some extreme behavior. This is normal behavior, right? And for the general populace, when they see it over and over and over and over, then it's normalized. Right. When it's on the fringe and you're not exposed to it, it's not normal, right? Um, and so with all the media that we're being bombarded with out there, 
that shows us what the, you know, quote unquote, new normal is, right? <laughs> right? Um, you know, we need to keep, we need to keep firearms in hunting in the public eye so they're normal. And we present, yes. you know, the normalized version of what a, you know, shooter um, or a hunter looks like, not what is portrayed or how people try to paint us into, into a corner. And that's, and again, another soapbox, but, you know, I think you've got the right approach there is that, yeah, you want to stand out. You want to be different so that people, people ask those questions and people view it as this is normal. Um, you know, nobody, nobody in history that you remember um, from, from history class was uh, blended into the wall. They weren't a wallflower. <laughs> you know, they were all out there in front of people. So, Yes, you know, to me, and, and as we're talking, I'm thinking about two different things here. But first of all is I would suggest to any and everybody to educate themselves initially on the importance of hunting, even though you're a hunter. Learn why hunting is important. Learn facts about the animals and how we have more animals and our animals are in better shape. Learn more about the, the species that we have saved through hunting, such as the elk, the pronghorn antelope, the wild turkey here in, in North America, and, and bring to the point that, you know, people a lot of times will talk about Kenya. They say, oh, man, I, I'm an eco-tourist. I go to Kenya and they go to the interior of a national park and that's the only place they find wildlife because it doesn't exist outside of that because they no longer have hunting and there's no economic value there and the animals, the, the local people, they only look at those animals as something that's eating the food that, that they're wanting to eat. So educate yourself so that when somebody asks you a question or you have an opportunity, you've got a ready answer. And, you know, it, it's, it, I think it's really important for, for us to do is we move forward, particularly in the, the societies that we live in now. And then secondly, what came to mind is that uh, most people that are listening to this know that the Pittman-Robertson Act is an excise tax on guns and related equipment for hunting and the Dingle-Johnson Act, which was passed back in probably in the early 1900s, I think both of them, uh, is an excise tax on uh, on fishing gear. And recently there was a bill that was they were wanting to introduce to uh, kind of do away with some of the excise tax that they, some guys felt like they were having to pay too much. And as it worked out, once this word got out just a little bit with uh, the Miss Erica uh, the Turgeson that we have as our lobbyist for DSC in Austin, in Washington, rather, uh, she was able to go to some of those senators or, or congressmen, if you will, who were our representatives that were sponsoring this bill and go, oh, do you realize what you're doing here? And apparently they had no idea that that money went to states based on the sale of hunting licenses for the to help with paying for wildlife conservation and the efforts of those various wildlife departments departments and departments of DNR and natural resources, if you will. So, you know, it's that education thing that we got to carry on, whether it's in whether it's in Congress, whether it's in your state legislature or whether it's something that you're doing with somebody sitting across the table having a cup of coffee. Yeah, you know, I don't think that you would find any hunter or fisher out there that would say, you know what? I want to do away with this excise tax. I don't want to pay tax dollars to help conservation. I don't think anybody would support that. Um, or they certainly shouldn't. It makes zero sense <laughs> for them to support it. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, you brought up you brought up Kenya, right? And yes, this is just something that that comes up a lot um, whenever I'm talking to people. Is you know. Whenever I'm having conversations, wherever I'm at, you know, Africa comes up and, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, would you shoot an elephant or a giraffe or a this or that? And I say, you know, here's what's interesting. I said, if there was an elephant trampling through your neighborhood and crushing cars, destroying houses, maybe threatening people's lives, what would you want done? <laughs> 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 yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So somebody needs to come come get it out. Well, how are you going to get rid of an elephant? Right? What, what are you going to do? You're going to dart it and haul it off with an 18 wheeler? I guess. Right? Okay. Well, what happens when that elephant comes back next week? Because he's coming back. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I said. So what would you want done? Eventually, I said. What's probably going to happen is. You know, unfortunately, someone's going to get severely injured or killed, and and then what would you want done, right? Okay, well, that's a reality for a lot of people. Yes. Let's put it another way. Let's put it another way. Let's say you're a farmer, and you have an elephant come in and wipe out all of the plants that that you planted, your entire harvest, and now you have no food and no income for the next year. What do you want to do to that elephant? Right? Right. It just took your your livelihood away. Okay? And then, you know, I said, here's the thing. If other countries were trying to dictate to the United States the way we try to dictate and impose our will on the countries of Africa, we would be in an uproar about how they're affecting our economy and how they're trying to tell us how to manage our resources. And we would say, we know how to manage our resources better than you outside of our country know how to manage our resources. We wouldn't stand for it. Okay, We might even go to war, but we would, we would not <laughs> yes. stand for it. But yet, the UK and the United States and other countries want to directly impact the economics, the sustainability, the culture, and, you know, just the general way of life of these people by imposing bans and restrictions and limiting their economic opportunities. Um, And to me, that just makes me very, (laughs) very angry because... You know, I, I see it as, as just a way of um, economic imperialism almost, you know. <laughs> it, it really is. And, and as you were talking about it, years ago, I was asked to do a column on predation. I was doing the whitetail column for North American Hunter, which years ago with North American Hunting Club, we had something like almost million and a half members and all those kind of things. Unfortunately, that organization no longer exists. But I was asked by an editor to uh, write a column about uh predation and to kind of let my thoughts be known but also you know kind of in a way around about why you wanted me to support uh, some of the things that were going on with the introduction of wolves into different areas and grizzly bears and all those kind of things. So I wrote this column based upon my thoughts of it, and I was very pro of the reintroduction of grizzly bears and particularly some of the larger than ever gray wolves that they released. And I thought the ideal places for which those animals to be released in were in downtown uh, Los Angeles, Sacramento, Chicago. New York City, after all, these were the people who really wanted to see and hear these animals and thought they absolutely loved them. And and then I said, think of the side benefits. This sounds kind of cruel, but think of the side benefits. Side benefits would be to do away with the the homeless situation and the overpopulation of pets and all those other kind of things. And he told me, well, we can't run this colony. So I love how you think, well, we can't do this. So to me, maybe maybe we're missing the boat kind of, of what I just talked about. Maybe these folks that really want to see the elephants and support those elephants, you know, or support that there should be elephants in, in, in uncontrolled numbers, you know, maybe they need to, maybe they need to take a capture dart and then release that animal somewhere within the, the area of where those folks exist and have them deal with them for a few days and see what they do. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's not only that though, it's, but it's, you know, it's, it's that, but it's, it's, we're directly affecting the economies. Absolutely. And it's wrong. You know, it's wrong. And it's wrong. Two, it's, it seems like people care about a individual of the species rather than the health of the entire species. That's exactly right. And, you know, I don't know. When I put it that way to people, Right. Whenever I say, look, look how you're affecting 
another country's economy, right? And when I put yes. it in those terms, then a light bulb goes off a lot of times. Uh, right. They're like, oh, yeah. Uh, wait a second. <laughs> you know? And um, it's like my my oldest daughter loves uh, pangolins, right? Those little right. armadillo-looking things with, <laughs> with little scales. Right. You know? Uh, and, um, you know, what's interesting, that's not a species that we hunt. They're, they're endangered, you know, for those of you that don't know what a pangolin is, look it up. They're pretty interesting little creatures. Um, but what's interesting is, is that hunting conservation dollars and anti-poaching um, actually helps protect pangolins while we're protecting other species because we've got anti-poaching out in the field and we've got um, we've got these hunters out there in the field keeping the poachers away. Right. So we're protecting more than just the species that we're hunting. And if those hunters are not there in the field and those anti-poaching uh, dollars are not there in the field and these concessions, if those don't exist, then guess what? All that goes away. It all goes away. And, it does. And that's what I try to tell people, you know, and I'm like, look, all right. If you go shoot, you know, because an, an elephant seems to be you know, pretty controversial these days. So if, if I go shoot an elephant, okay, but the dollars and everything from that saves 10 elephants, okay, or more, but let's just say it saves 10, would you want me to go shoot that elephant, right? Or yes. would you say, no, I would rather that 11 elephants die than you go and shoot one. <laughs> You know, because that's what we're that's what we're getting down to, honestly. It, you know? it it really is. It's it's just like with some of the, of the lions. Since we're talking about elephants, there's a lot of areas in Africa where where they're not hunting for those lions. What would happen is is because those lions, a lot of the the uh, the, the wealth in the country outside in the uh, really rural areas is determined by how many cattle you have. And if you have a lion killing a bunch of cows, you're taking away from the wealth and, and welfare of everybody involved there. And so were it not for hunters going there and occasionally taking an old lion that really has served all of its biological purposes anyway, and if you didn't do that and provide those folks with money to kind of subsidize the losses of livestock that they get from the lions that remain, they'll go in and just put poison in all the water holes. And guess what? It would not only kill the cats, it would kill all the the uh, the other things that partake of that water, not only in that water, but who drank that water, and then it goes all the way to bugs and butterflies and, and all those small mammals as well, too. So it, it, there seems to have been a loss of common sense, and to me that part of it is, is it all comes down to having some kind of common sense to where, as you just mentioned, it's far better to take one animal to be able to support the lives of, of 10 others that will continue as opposed to letting all 11 of them disappear absolutely and so coming coming back around full circle those are the stories and the information that that i want to share on your right sportsman um and those are the things that i want to get across to people um and i think the best way um is through a medium where you can share articles and you can say hey look here's an article about this and you can share it with your friends and help them understand um because we can we can do one on one with each other, you know, and I can go and talk to one person and maybe convince that one person. Um, but if we create an article or a story about this, then we can reach tens of thousands of people, right? Um, and I just see that it's all necessary. We all, as individuals, have to have those individual conversations, and then you know the conservation groups need help getting their messages out. Um, and then we need to just share these stories and push it. And again, back to your, what you said about looking like a hunter, we need to make all of this normalized and all of this needs to be just part of a normal part of society. So taking it full circle, that's, that's, uh, that's the goal of international sports. And that is a pretty full circle right there too as well. (laughs) 
Now, I know that you, you've got some, what are your numbers? You and I were talking about not too long ago, and I know that these numbers are increasing pretty much on a daily basis, and I want those numbers to can increase in dramatic numbers on a daily basis. But uh, how many people do you think you normally reach with, with an article at this point, is what we were talking about just earlier, that kind of an article? Um, last month, we had 100,000 people come to the site. Whoa. Wow. That's fantastic. Um, and um, that's really, uh, um, you know, I want those numbers to be bigger. <laughs> and, and they every, will, yes. Every person that comes, um, you know, I want them to, to learn and take away something and get exposed to all these ideas we've been talking about. Um. So that's that's the goal, and you know to help help the organizations um, help the organizations to spread their message um, and help those organizations get dollars in the door and help help those organizations grow. Absolutely, like it all comes down to money occasionally, and unfortunately, conservation cost. Whether it, it's it's conservation projects we're doing, whether it's anti poaching, whether it's habitat improvement, whether it's even tra- trapping and relocating certain animals, kind of thing. Everything, all that costs. So, and then so does making sure that uh, our legislators and our government is aware. And like I said, a lot of times the education needs to occur there. Sometimes before it does anywhere else, but all that. That kind of thing costs. So anything that people can contribute in terms of dollars to organizations that are scientifically scientifically based on and have an understanding of wildlife conservation. And wildlife conservation does not mean just preservation. It means the wise use of the habitat and the animals for a sustainable crop of wildlife into the future. And that includes non-game animals and game animals. So I mean that's one of the reasons we have like the DSC Foundation. There there are many ways that people can contribute to it in financially if they wish and if they want to they can go to our website which is www.dscf.org and kind of see some of the things that we've done there of course the DSC website is uh, b-i-g-g-a-m-e.org as well too and a lot of really good information there and there's there's a lot of good things that you can see there too particularly on our foundation website of, of some video type things that you might want to share with somebody that uh, has a question that uh, could probably be answered as far as wildlife conservation is concerned uh, based upon that particular individual uh, video that we have there. So there are a lot of different sources, but that also means we all have an investment in wildlife in the future, and that can be financial, and if you're like me and some of the rest of us, uh, maybe we don't have a whole lot of discretionary dollars that we can give away, but we can give of ourselves and we can give of our time, and sometimes I think that's every bit is important and maybe more so than than the dollars that we receive yeah absolutely Larry. i mean one of the things that that i'm doing too is i'm actually starting a store side of international sportsman where i'm going to be just focused on products that that basically i endorse Perfect. and i'm going to be offering a roundup on the store where you can round up your um, your total to the next dollar, right, right, um, or add more, and those proceeds will go directly to the DSC Foundation. Oh, good grief! Uh, thank you so very much. That's fantastic. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So that's uh, that's my next project that's in the works right now. I love hearing that. That is so fantastic, and what a way to to kind of give back and to give forward as well too. So. There you go. Well, Larry, I appreciate our time today. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I appreciate your time. Tell everybody how to get in touch with you. You mentioned if somebody had a story that they might want to tell, particularly relative to uh, uh, conservation, or maybe it's something that's special or a tip or anything like that. How do they get in touch with you? And remind us all how to get to your website as well, too. Yep. So the website is internationalsportsman.com. That's sportsman. And you can email me at jeremy at internationalsportsman.com if you want to contribute to the site. Um, You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube at International Sportsman. Um, And we'd love to have you part of this community and, and help spread the message of 
conservation, the advocacy, and just general knowledge in those four categories that I mentioned. Jeremy, thank you so much for what you've done, what you're doing, and particularly what you're going to be doing in the future. I'm really excited about everything that we've talked about, particularly with the uh, the rounding up figure. I love that idea. Thank you so very much for doing that. And I look forward to getting together with you around a campfire here too, for too very long, and uh, maybe we can go out and harvest the dough, and then we can spend a little time around the fire cooking that dough. There you go. Looking forward to it. Thank you again, Jeremy. Thanks for joining us around the campfire. To leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode, go to Instagram at Larry Wysoon Outdoors. Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, H3 Whitetail Solutions, Remington, Texas Wildlife Association, TRHP Outdoors. 